This episode of Inspiration Point is brought to you by the Quests and Chaos Podcast Network and the generous patrons over on patreon.com slash inspiration point. So we'd like to give a big shout out to Punching Potato, Garlic Bread, Eric, Dragon Workshop, Spike, and Red Dead Coquette. And at our Muse $20 level, we'd like to thank Prostaskias, Leroy, Kate, Jeremy, Jenna, Jacob, Falangor, and Cheryl. Thank you for helping us bring a little inspiration out into the world. And now, on with the show. All right, good evening to you. How is everything going? Good evening to you as well. Things are things are going all right, you know. You can keep on keeping on and all that. How What's the most you? interesting thing that's happened to you this week? Hmm. I think the most interesting thing that's happened this week is uh, a group of friends and I are starting like a Sunday salon type of thing. I mean, the Discord is called uh, Cafe Sunday, but I think of it as a salon because it's a place to like be around other intellectual artistic people and exchange ideas or just sit quietly in a corner and knit if you don't want to deal with talking to people, but you want to be around people. Oh, that sounds lovely. Yeah, it's the first time that I've been able to go since it got started because it got started very shortly after I got back from Alaska and, well, uh, I was I had COVID and I was like, I'm not playing that game. Thank you very much. So it was the first time that I was able to go and it was nice. Brought a, brought a little charcuterie board to share and oh, there were four of those. us there. Oh, man, right? What's, what's your favorite thing to put on a charcuterie board? Oh, man, I love everything. I love... You know, of course, like the the dried meat is really mm. fun, and you know, and I I like it really peppery on the outside, and of course, I love just about every cheese there is, and <laughs> uh, I even love like the little um, the little pickles. What are they called? I I only remember what they're called in French. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I don't remember what they're called, but those are those are pretty tasty. Yeah, I had a uh, uh, herb and garlic uh, goat cheese that I brought that uh, it, it started because I was like, oh, hey, I brought back this salmon dip from Alaska that I'll mix up and share with people. And then it just sort of went from there into, oh, but I can also get these olives. Oh, well, if I'm going to mm, get olives, olives. then... Then it'll just, you know, it grew from there. Uh, definitely one of the centerpieces was a little pot of uh, Alaska wild blueberry jam. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You can try different jams. Uh, mm-hmm. I also like uh, things like like little prosciutto rolls. Oh. Um, there's so many fun things. but And, yeah, you mentioned olives. Like, I didn't think of that right away, but really enjoy uh, olives either by themselves or, or stuffed with things. Yeah, um, I I've, I got all of stuffed with jalapenos and uh, garlic, which was delicious. <laughs> that sounds lovely. Yeah, I I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. I need to start one of those of my own. Apparently, I need you know you got to tell me all the things that go into it so I can get that going. There's a group over here that isn't a book club, but that sounds like work. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to like have to read uh, something that's not the player's handbook, you know, or another book about how to get good at whatever it is I'm studying at the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the concept behind it, and we'll see how successful it is or isn't, because, you know, things start off as good ideas and then may or may not uh, follow through. But the idea behind it is to kind of have 
a quote-unquote library economy with this group of people where it's like, you know, I don't have the space to store gardening utensils, but this person's father has them and is willing to loan them out. And, you know, we can just go and use them and then have a people have a group of people descend on mass to do a big gardening project and get it over with in an afternoon. Oh, right. Yeah, I, I like that, too. You know, um, getting back in touch with like the simple life, you know, whether that has to do with like manual labor, but like kind of fun labor, you know, like gardening is kind of mm-hmm. Zen, you know, in its own way. And then like, yeah. And food like that, and and of course, just being around friends, even if you're not talking, you know. Um, you know, a lot of people like to play cards. And as much as I love games like D&D and other um, role-playing games, it's, it is like kind of a lot of work, too. Yeah. So it's nice to do something that's sort of simple and brainless. Yeah, I mean, I I took my knitting and hung out and chatted and listened to people talk about tarot and just, it was really nice. It was, I mean, it was tiring because it was still peopling, but it was uh, yes. less exhausting than other forms of peopling, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. And you know, you didn't have to put on your performance hat, right? Yeah, and- I I I I went there in my soft, comfy house pants, which I almost never leave the house in. Ooh. You know, every now and then at the school, we have pajama day, and it literally is the greatest thing that, that there is. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I put on, like, my slippers, and I have, like, a bathrobe over my PJs that I'm wearing. Like, I look comfy. And uh, the, even South Park had a day, had a, um, an episode about pajama day, and it was, like, it turned into this big, like, movement and revolt episode, because it's such a beloved thing. <laughs> You know, kind of, hey, when you were a kid, did you ever have like reading days? You know, I was I was homeschooled, so I couldn't tell you. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, we uh, the, the curriculum that we used was very book focused. So a lot of those books are still some of my favorites to this day. Um, but, you know, I'm not I'm not sure what you mean by reading days. Sorry. So we would do this thing like probably once every three months or so where uh you were you would bring like blankets, pillows, and or like a sleeping bag. You know, it was almost like you're going camping, but you just stay in the classroom, and all the desks are moved out to the side, and everybody just like lounges around and they just read all day, and you just hang out and read. Oh, that sounds incredible! <laughs> and and you eat snacks, and uh, yeah, it was it was the greatest times of elementary school by far, by a mile. They were wonderful. And uh, I was a normie, so I used to read Goosebumps all the time. That was my jam. Goosebumps had, are great. It had big font and make me feel smart. <laughs> <laughs> I think the closest equivalent in my curriculum was um, in, like, I want to say first through third grade, there were what were called read out louds. Okay, yeah. And so for the first two of us, mom did all the reading out loud. But because it's the same curriculum, it's the same books. Um, so she passed me the book to start reading when it came to my third sibling. And like it turned into a thing where we would all just sort of gather around and listen while either mom or me were doing the the, the read alouds. 
There's another topic for another time. How to recapture storytelling time. Oh, my in, gosh. In story-based games. <laughs> yeah. But that was definitely the the beginning of me doing, like, audiobook stuff. Because at, like, age seven or eight, I was I was pressed into doing reading for my younger siblings. It wasn't that young. Uh, must have been, like, 10 or 11. Yeah, I own a rocking chair. When I set up my home D&D area, I'm going to... I have to... GM for the rocking chair. I think that's that's necessary now. That sounds incredibly necessary. Is it like a, a full-on folding chair? Uh, fold, is it a full-on rocking chair? Or like full a folding on. rocking chair? Bought oh. from a carpentry store. Uh, I actually got it from my uh, wife when she was first pregnant. Um, it even has a little heart carved out at the oh. center of the back. I know. It was so... I, I was proud of that gift. I was like, this is a good thing. That's and we still amazing. have it because yeah. it, and it's probably like the most sturdy piece of furniture we've ever owned. Sure, something that's that's hand built and put yep. together like that. There's just nothing like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, what's the most exciting thing that you did this week? Oh man, talk to you, obviously. Um, Aw, <laughs> flattery will get you everywhere. I know. I'm the same way. Uh, we actually. This was uh, something exciting that one of my students accomplished that I was really proud of him. So I coach esports, specifically a League of Legends team, mm-hmm. and we are a pretty successful team. We we've won a lot of awards and stuff. And uh, one of my students, probably the one of the sweetest kids that I know, he made it all the way to platinum. Not that that's the be all end all rank. In League of Legends, but it's better than I've ever done. And uh, very few of my students have ever achieved platinum. And so I, you know, I messaged his mom and I said, this is a big deal. This is a big accomplishment. And if he can go further getting to like Emerald or Diamond, you know, he might be able to like get scholarships to play. Um, And that's really cool. And so I try to make a really big deal about how he did. And then he went on a 10-game losing streak. <laughs> oh, that's rough. Because the game, you know, has a hidden number that it has assigned to you, a matchmaking number. And now his is higher, right? Mm. And so now it's like, can you handle this? He's graduated to the next level. Right. And so he's, he's playing with new kids that are like, you know, much better. And so he ended up deranking and losing platinum and going back to gold. Oof. And I thought that's going to completely demotivate him. That's going to crush him. But he got right back on his horse. He won a few games and he got right back in. Good like the, for him. Like the next day he got back in. And I was extremely proud of that. I was more proud of that than had he just stayed. So just really showed a lot of like determination and maturity on his on his end. And it bodes well for uh, our team. That's amazing. Well, I look forward to, to hearing more about how things go on that side of things. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about this team. I keep setting them like little goals like, hey, if we win in 20 minutes, uh, everybody gets a skin, right? Or uh, if everybody like if nobody dies more than five times, you know, some reward happens. You know, these little things I try to do to to motivate them. 
And I think it like puts too much pressure on them. <laughs> they start performing worse <laughs> and they start making errors um, because they're trying to force a certain outcome, which isn't necessarily the best way to go, but it's still a fun way to challenge them. Yeah. Also, though, esports might be the only way that you can say, all right, y'all do do X, Y, and Z, and you'll get a skin without it being just absolutely creepy. <laughs> yeah, you'll get a skin. Wait, what do you mean by that? What does <laughs> Which that mean? kind of skin, Mr. Power? Which kind of skin? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I'm just like standing there with a bunch of furs. <laughs> You're an old school trapper. Yeah, yeah, I got my my raccoon skin hat on, a Bowie knife in my teeth. (laughs) I'm an educator. Um, Anyway. You know, school of hard knocks is still a school. It is. (laughs) I suppose. I suppose it is, yes. So, yeah, no, I've been having a really wonderful time. And the best part, of course, is, is having moved and not having to commute so far and uh i've I've exchanged a 55 minute drive for a a 10 minute one you write it right in the high of that like extra 45 minutes of time that's yours it's glorious now i i'm still pretty occupied you know there's a lot of still moving and unpacking and and things like that to do and uh sometimes i i just still don't have that much time because i'm just busy but at least I'm not in a car. At least I feel like I'm accomplishing something instead yeah. of doing literally nothing. You know, there's only so many audiobooks you can listen to and podcasts you can absorb until you start to go insane. <laughs> and it's so, true. I'm so glad to be to be done with that. It has uh, just made me much happier and have much more energy. And uh, the last couple of days, I have absolutely squandered this opportunity. <laughs> by playing Baldur's Gate 3, like, <laughs> as much as I can, right? Uh, which is a fantastic game. Of course, it goes without saying, I highly recommend it. Everybody's recommending it. Uh, there's been a lot of drama surrounding the release of Baldur's Gate 3, actually. Really? I don't know if you've heard anything about it. No. Um, but one thing that's happening is... Uh, there were some other devs from other companies that were like, hey, we're really happy about Baldur's Gate success. You know, it's really, really cool. But I just want to preemptively say this is by no means a change in standard. You shouldn't expect this kind of thing to happen regularly uh, because the, the, the stars were just so aligned in this way. And... You know, this is a pipeline that just isn't realistic for most of us. And, like, there's a few things about that. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to unpack in that. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, well, number one, with this and Elden Ring, it's mm-hmm. like, why can't this be the new standard? Is there a reason why people have to have these horrible crunch times, toxic work conditions, uh, be underpaid, you know, uh, push out a game before it's ready. Um, is there a reason why we have to do all these microtransactions and loot boxes and stuff like that? Because Baldur's Gate doesn't do any of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it has, uh, what is it, the 
sort of collector's edition that you can get up front, which gets you, you know, like the soundtrack and stuff. Okay, that's not bad. You know, it's like, you don't want it, it will have no impact, (laughs) right? Like, yeah, it's just there if you want to support and get a couple of fun doodads. But it's not like you're buying power. And people are really tired of microtransactions and pay-to-win models in their Mm -hmm. mainstream, fully-priced games. You know, people don't want to spend $60 to have to then spend more money in order to be successful. And I look at something like um, Diablo 4, which is just sort of the opposite in almost every way, um, where it is just kind of corporate, soulless, almost like insulting gameplay. You know, if if people enjoy it, that's fine. I know Andrew enjoys it quite a lot. Um, I think it's, I think it is the worst of any of the Diablo games. I heard such good things about Diablo 3. Yeah, I mean. Diablo 4 just like went off a cliff? It's just uninspired. Um, There's nothing really novel or special or different it's just a grind fest, you know, yeah. and they and they've all been grind fest to a degree, but then they also make very questionable decisions when it comes to their their seasonal passes and and season ideas, and of course the the whole concept of seasons is to try to like draw out more sort of artificial play, mm-hmm. and by artificial play, what I what I mean by that is. Hey, there's the new thing. Everyone's going to do it. So go do the thing. As opposed to like, this is fun to do. Like the the core gameplay isn't very fun. So it has to like rely on all of these like uh, reward paths. And all the reward paths ultimately lead to is bigger number go burr. <laughs> you know, and that and that's it. You know, it's just it's the worst. I just and so many companies are either doing, you know, the Skinner box grind fests or they're doing the microtransactions or they're doing both. Right. And it's just been awful for the gaming industry. What Larian Studios and FromSoft have done is really start to make art again to make something that is like really special. And there was an FAQ where they asked the people at Larian, is there going to be any sort of like DLC or microtransaction? And they said, no. You know, we believe in having a feature complete game. So enjoy it. I like that. I respect that. And it's it's so odd to think that that's weird, right? Mm -hmm. Like the concept that a game company would actually just give you a, a full experience right off the bat. You know, it's sad that that's that's the oddity, right? As, a, as opposed to the baseline. Yeah, I mean, and I'm I'm still not huge in the the gaming world, but I think of it as being the difference between like, you know, James Patterson and Neil Gaiman as far as like authors go. Mm. Because like, it, it it was a running joke when I worked at Barnes and Noble that. Oh that James Patterson had a book out like two books a month or something. Like it was just a constant churn machine. And obviously he's not writing most of those 
he's put his name next to the person who actually wrote it to, like, get it out under his imprint or whatever. But, like, it's a churn machine. And, you know, people like them. And I'm not going to diss on people for liking what they like. You know, I'm not going to yuck other people's yum. Oh, I totally will. (laughs) (laughs) I try not to because I know that there are things that I like that people are like, really? Uh Okay. Um, No, you have exquisite taste usually. If I tell you two of my favorite bad movies, you might disagree. You might change your mind on that. Well, yeah, yeah, maybe. I like some bad movies, too, though. Uh, That's fair. Um, But also then, on the flip side of that, is someone like Neil Gaiman, who puts books out very infrequently. Right. Um, But he also does a whole bunch of different kinds of art, and everything is very thoughtful and very thought-provoking, very inspiring. Like, he, he does books... And word creations as art, truly as art. Yes, yes. And I respect him a lot for that. Now, I haven't seen Good Omen Season 2. I've heard it's a bit more fan uh, servicey, so I may change my mind a little bit with that. But he also has several decades of writing experience with, you know, the Sandman comics, uh, the, uh, the Graveyard book, Coraline, um, Good Omens, of course, with Terry Pratchett. Like, Neil Gaiman is a absolute treasure and, and i, I loved his dark uh, mind I, I loved his book on norse mythology um and that was one of the that's probably my favorite audiobook i've consumed mm. um because he also reads it and i always appreciate when the author reads and so uh he delivers the myth in a way that was like impactful and emotional yeah yeah, yeah. I'm I'm back and forth on authors doing their own audiobooks because like to dip into an example that I that you will eventually hear uh-huh. uh, James, James Marsters does the audiobook for the Dresden Files like all of them. Yes. And the man has an incredible voice. There has been one time that Jim Butcher has done the audiobook and it wasn't bad, but it wasn't good because mm. Jim Butcher Jim Butcher's an excellent writer. Yeah. He's not a performer. Uh. So, like, I mean, I'm working on a book right now and going through the editing process on that. And when it's done, yeah, I'm going to do the audiobook for it. But that's because I'm an audiobook narrator. Like, it would be silly to pass that over to someone else when I can do it. So that's the other part. You would also like to have work to do. Well, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That does help. But also, I mean, like, I have spent the time developing the craft and... Not a lot of authors have that particular ability unless they're also like public speakers or performers in another vein. Like Neil Gaiman is a tremendous performer. I've heard uh, his his Night with Amanda Palmer performances, and it's just stunning. Oh, he's got a lovely voice. Very nice. He has such a beautiful voice. Yes. So, um, but yeah, I'm back and forth on that subject. But yeah, his his creations are art. And yeah, he makes a living doing it, but it's not churned out for the sake of just getting the next pulpy thing out, where someone like, you know, James Patterson or, you know, countless romance novel authors who are just like, book a month, let's go, where it's like, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what people want, then, you know, that's what they enjoy. But, you know, there are But also they're wrong, right? You know, like, kind (laughs) of, you know, um, it's... You know, like Thomas Kincaid paintings, you know, they're pretty, sure, Mm -hmm. but they're also uh, nothing, you know, and and he makes a lot of them and they're just, they just exist. 
not not particularly moving at any point, but they make uh, a decent wall decor, I suppose. Right. Um, sure. And I guess it depends on what kind of experience you're looking for. Right. Like I just picked up the video game Stray Gods, which I am super excited to sit down and play. Haven't sat down and played it yet, but it's uh, it's a, a, a video game role playing musical about mm. a muse coming into her power. Oh, and I'm very excited to to play it because, like, I looked at the list of people who are voicing things, and my eyes got about the size of dinner plates. Oh, did they? What were some of the names that you saw? Uh, Erica Ishii is involved with it. Uh, Felicia Day is involved ah, with like it. I like Felicia Day. Yeah, right. Uh, let me let me pull up the cast list because it is very good. I actually got the audiobook of her, um, I guess, autobiography or memoir. Mm-hmm. It was a. Uh, I don't know, it was like 10 years ago, maybe? <laughs> it was a while ago. Okay. Uh, the The main character, Grace, is played by Laura Bailey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Calliope is played by Ashley Johnson. Uh, Athena is Felicia Day, which is just beautiful. <laughs> uh, Troy Baker is Apollo. Uh, Persephone is Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, which, whoo. Uh, Meryl Dandridge, I don't know her name. Uh, uh, Janina Gavinker. Eriki Eriki Ishii is Hermes, and that is gorgeous. Yeah, it's a good fit. That makes me really happy. But yeah, there's there's a lot of queer people of color who are part of this. Like just scrolling down the the, the pictures, I'm like, oh my gosh, so many beautiful faces. Uh, and Orpheus is Anthony Rapp. And what is Anthony Rapp famous for? Uh, Rent. He he was he was the original Mark in the musical Rent. I see. Yeah, as Mark Cohen. Yes. So, but yeah, it's that sort of thing where it's like, I am here for an experience where it's it's music and it's Greek mythology and it's storytelling through all of this. And that is a piece of art that I have chosen to support because that interests me. But I also play match three games on my phone and will <laughs> buy coins to, to, to get through things. <laughs> Well, you should be ashamed of that. Um, I, I I am not because I I've, I sit there and play them when I'm working on edits for audiobooks and stuff like that. Right. It's just something to keep my hands busy, and I'm like, I do not have the patience to sit on this level for 15 minutes. Um, I can't judge you actually too hard because um, <laughs> while I don't play any match threes, I have played a lot of those like idle RPGs mm, where you yeah. just they're like gotchas, you know. And uh, like, like I played the, the Marvel Strike Force for a while, and then I got into uh, Bloodline Heroes of Lithus, and then I uh, recently w- played the Street Fighter Arena or whatever it's called. I forget what it's called. Okay. Um, but right now I have been um, game free for some time, <laughs> and on those kinds of games, so I'm proud of myself. I'm rehabbing well. <laughs> I will also say I'm very proud. I've I, I have spent very little money on those, um, and uh, I do not intend to spend any more. And that's fair. And that is the gaming experience that you are there for. Uh, mm-hmm. My my reasons for playing those games are very different than yours. For me, it is just to keep my hands busy while I'm working on something that I can't do anything else while I'm doing it. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I, I guess I have also sort of run out of moments to do it, you know, in a way, sure. which is uh, actually a good problem in a lot of ways. 
Um, yeah, you have all the other cool things that you focus on doing. Speaking of the other thing, cool things that I focus on doing, um, I wanted to talk about uh, role-playing and optimizing with you. <laughs> Excellent segue. Well done. Uh, yes, thank you. Thank you very much. So there has always been this question about, you know, what kind of player should you be in terms of role-playing versus character optimization? Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, they very much go to one extreme or the other. I think there is definitely a school of thought out there that says, do what your character would do and build a character that you like. And, you know, the optimization doesn't matter at all. That's shallow. You don't care about that. Okay. Although they would probably still say you should learn the basic rules usually. (laughs) that's not optimizing that's just learning how to play the game right exactly and and then there's the flip side where you have your sort of like you're they're really just war gamers where power gamers yeah where they're like no i'm gonna do one of the builds that is like highly rated on D&D beyond or you know something i saw in pack tactics whatever and um you know every one of the tables is going to be doing something like that because the we're we're trying to just make like super challenging D D games. And you know, it's hard to say that either of those are particularly wrong because if your table is having fun and that's the expectation, then it is what it is, right? Um having said that, I think that there are a few uh good rules about how to balance role playing versus optimization. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I bring this up is at a certain point, you know, and let me let me just forward the question to you real quick as to what you think, having been in a few games yourself. Just a couple. Just a couple, right? <laughs> uh, is there a certain point where it is, I don't know if polite's the right word, but it's maybe I should say proper to have a certain level of being effective for your group, you know, where... Where not doing so would be maybe even rude. Um, maybe um, like the opposite of empathetic. <laughs> you know, um, our, I mean, our our eight wisdom person. Okay, yeah, like just somebody who you know it, detrimental. Okay, so what do you think? Ah, uh, see, that's a hard one to call, right? Because I have played with people who are very, very effective that I hate playing with. Yes. (laughs) Like, they're very good at, like, not just building the character, but playing every, every piece of the character together in a way that is very effective. And I hated playing with them. Right. I, um, I don't think that they're, I think it depends on the kind of game that you are playing. If you are playing a game that is entirely combat focused or heavily combat focused, then I think that there is a point where it may not be rude to be less effective or to actively build for flavor rather than effectiveness. But I think that there is a point where you will get frustrated as the player. I think frustration is a good word. Yeah, because you're watching everyone else get off these like massive strikes and then you're like, and I cast magic missile. 
which will always hit cool, fine, fantastic, but it's not going to be a huge amount of damage. And there's a certain point where the part, a part of your brain, your lizard brain, is going to be like, well, why are you even here? Mm, yes. I mean, I don't, I don't even know if that has to be lizard brain as much as it's just like, that's going to be natural part of like, nobody wants to be Krillin, right? That's sure. the way I like to think <laughs> of it. And, you know, everybody wants to be Goku or Vegeta or maybe even Piccolo, depending on where you are in the arc, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, nobody wants to be Yamcha. You know, every time you show up to fight, you just immediately die, right? Yeah. Um, but some people do enjoy that as sort of like a troll, like especially if they're playing sort of joke characters where it's like, ha ha, I died. Isn't that funny? Right. I mean, and I'm not again, I'm not going to yuck anyone else's yum, but I'm not going to play at that table. So, yeah, I mean, I think that. You know, there's always going to be a situation where even the most unlikable players can find a place to fit. But I guess what I'm looking for is sort of like, what is a good baseline? You know, what are some general rules that players could have that would help them match to most tables? And because that's one of the big challenges that we face is finding tables that work together. And so I think if players go in with the mindset of, I'm going to try to make the table work as opposed to just going, I'm going to do whatever I want, you know, is, is very helpful. You know, if you consider that the GM wants to create a certain kind of challenge and they may, they may be using uh, the DMG to balance their encounter. Now, if somebody makes a barbarian and they think it would be hilarious to make a bar- barbarian with eight strength, <laughs> right? I think at that point, their yum is getting in the way of everybody else's, right? Because, okay, if you didn't take 18 strength in, you know, with great weapon master, like, that's fine. Okay. I can respect that. But, like, you don't have 14? To me, that seems selfish, actually. A little bit rude or even not bothering to learn not just how to play but like how to be effective for your team seems to put undue stress on the others in a Hmm. way do you see what i'm kind of saying yeah you know and i I, again at a certain point we don't want to say well they have to be this build or you're wrong but there there should be something right you know at least as a as a baseline and so I've, I've come to uh, a few do's and don'ts, let's say. And I want to know what you think of them. And feel free to push back because I realize that a lot of this is going to be just the way I feel about things. Sure. Um, but I'm trying to extend all of branches as much as I can. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so rule number one, and I'm going to start with the thou shalt nots, Okay. But instead of having 10 commandments, I only have six, okay? You know, that, that that is more efficient. That's more efficient, right? Most of those didn't have to be there. And some of them are bad ideas, frankly. True. Um, like, don't kill. Have you met people? Uh, anyway. Ding. For legal purposes, that was a joke. <laughs> yeah, for legal purposes. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, thou shalt not be a detriment to your party. 
right? I think we could at least agree that, like, trying to aggro the whole room and, you know, building opposite to what is effective might be putting your jollies above the jollies of the group. And and that's kind of like the key. Remember that you're at a table with other people and it's about all of you, not just you. Yeah, I mean, then there is a case to be made for like, if you want to try out a build that is not as effective or something like that, go play Baldur's Gate 3. It'll <laughs> let you do it'll let you do your build by yourself. Right. And I, I think at you know, that's especially good for your hard optimizer, right? Who is like, I want to maximize my DPR, um, my damage per round. Thank right? you. I was about to ask. Because <laughs> that's, that's some uh, esports uh, lingo that I do not know. Right. Well, that would be DPS for um, like, um, you know, live games, you know, damage per second. But yeah, it's like, well, how much damage can I get out in a single turn, in a single round? And... A lot of times we use that as the measuring stick to see how effective you are. Because when you think of like, what is damage in the game? It's the exertion of your character's will upon other characters and the world. Yeah, and that's not necessarily calculated just in like raw damage. It can also be, you know, can the monk's stunning strike lock down one of the bigger problems so that the other players can focus on other things? Yes, you know, can it can uh, you do a hold person or even a banishment to get rid of the biggest problem so you can focus on other things for a few minutes? Absolutely. Yes. Crowd control is huge. Sometimes it's better than damage. Of course, death is really good crowd control. Well, um. yes. But, <laughs> <laughs> but if you need to control a large group of people quickly, something like um, uh, you're talking about it before, the, 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 the prismatic thing. Oh, uh, hypnotic pattern. Yes, that. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah, hypnotic pattern. Uh, third level spell and is an AOE um, hold person, essentially. I mean, well, not quite that good. It doesn't paralyze people, but it does keep them from doing stuff. So we, we like that. Um, so, by the way, I love hold person. So good. <laughs> um, yes, I know. You use it frequently. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it would be, hey, my character's crazy. And my character is like just such a jokester and he's just chaos incarnate. So with all my players grouped up around one goblin, I throw in a fireball to finish the goblin. It's like, well, I, I think that player might be putting the role play above the good of the group. Right. Mm -hmm. um, like sometimes your rogues, the one in there and they have evasion and they're like, just drop it, man. Just go for it. You know, I got this. I'm fine. Right. And that's cool, man. That could even be a, like a really cool dramatic moment. Okay. But moving on to thou shalt not number two. And this is more for players that are going to try to make a very effective build. Okay. And this is try not to make other players feel dumb or useless. It can be really fun to flex how much we know. Right. But if you're in a group of people that are, you know, good enough at the game, let's say, yeah. and they're getting through the content, you know, but maybe they're not super experienced, you know, they're just, they, they, they're putting, they're like, I'm a human fighter because that's about what I can manage, right? Uh, I'm a dwarf cleric because that's what my uh, pre-built sheet says. 
I don't think you bring in the hex blade on that one, right? You don't make the hex blade paladin multi-class uh, hyper-optimized thing into that group because at that point you're going to steal the show every single encounter. And again, everyone's starting to feel like Krillin, right? And again, not even Krillin wants to be Krillin. <laughs> At least not until he gets with Android 18, okay? Wow. That's a little bit different. But, uh, you know, have you ever seen this situation where somebody is just like, they're cranking it up to 11 and some of the other people at the table barely know how to play? Not so much that much of a disparity, but I have definitely seen it where, you know, someone knows the game so well, they know how to manipulate and uh, work within the rules in ways that just make you go, where is that written down? Because holy heck, I have never heard of that. And then other people are just trudging along with their like standard base stuff. And it's never quite that big of a disparity where it's like, hi, I'm the person with like 18 int who knows how to build this character to just like their absolute thing. And I'm over here like, uh, cool. I do my I do my two attacks and I'm done. You go ahead and kill the monster there, buddy. Yeah. But if I'm going into a group where everybody is like, like, OK, guys, we're going to do hardcore Tomb of Annihilation. <laughs> right. So everybody bring your A game. Everybody here has like 10 years of experience, you know, five years of experience, whatever. Like, let's get in. Like, yeah, now let's bring out your Gloomstalker Rangers, you know, let's bring out your Twilight Clerics. Let's bring out your, <laughs> your, uh, what's, what are the other OP things that are out there? Um, oh, uh, the, uh, uh, your coffee the co locks. Yeah, the <laughs> coffee locks are broken. Right. Um, trying to think of some other things, but um, there's a lot of like kind of just stupid <laughs> builds that, I mean, they're not stupid, right? They're very they're smart, great. actually. That's the problem, right? Yeah. It's just that like when somebody over here is like, well, I picked half-orc barbarian because that's what the book said, you know, would be a good idea, you know, and, and they're just pushing their buttons. Like, I don't think we need to hard flex unless you're also kind of helping to like coach the other players. But even then, yeah. you want to be really careful so that you're not, like, talking down to them. You're not, like, patronizing them. Yeah, and that, that happened in my first uh, game with, with Quest and Chaos, where I came in and just was playing a kind of a basic, quote-unquote, light domain cleric, which was great fun. But I was also playing at a table where that also include, included Bo Christian Williams, who at that point was DMing and had played a bunch, and... Uh, he was multi-classing like crazy, trying to get exactly the right build. Like he, he we, we would talk on the phone for ages and he would be like, I want to do this, this and this. And I want to like build this out. And by level 20, I'm like, you think we're getting to level 20? Okay, cool. But that ended up with a swashbuckler, rogue, um, warlock. I think it was a hex blade. Some, 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 some pact of the blade warlock. I don't remember what the rest right, of that yeah. was. But it was it was an interesting build and it definitely like challenged me to up my game and like remember the kinds of things that I could do or look at the way that feats worked with my base build. So, you know, I, I never felt stupid. I always felt challenged, which I Good. appreciate. Yeah, I think that's key. You know, if you have a mentor and they're helping you feel that challenge and really learn the game, 
you know, that's a good player, in my opinion. I don't like it when players are like, check out my damage, bro. <laughs> and then, but then they don't help. Or like, it's someone else's turn, so they start scrolling on their phone or something, you know? Yeah. Which that's... you shouldn't allow at your table. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that too. And honestly, like, I think that a lot of like this, this issue would be solved by having a session zero where everyone sits down together and the GM says, here's the vibe that I'm going for. You know, it's going to be uh, a series of heists. It's going to be, you know, a murder mystery. It's going to be, we're going to go through Tomb of Annihilation. Or, you know, we're going through Storm King's Thunder. Here are some of the things that might be useful. Here's some background information that your characters might know. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the party build. Obviously, you don't have to go into stuff like secrets and whatnot, which at some point we'll talk about player secrets because those are fun. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, but you know, um, but it does help to be like, okay, what's the vibe of the room? What's everyone else looking at playing? Cause like, um, with chaos agents campaign one, I was hearing a fighter, a warlock and a rain and a, and a rogue. And I was like, these guys are going to need a healer. Cool. I am more than happy to play the cleric, which is how I discovered my first love clerics. Well, I mean, if you want to be a class that just does everything, <laughs> I think that that's it's a really good choice. Um, I mean, cleric is a really good choice, but they're also like the healers. Heavy quotes around that. All really heavy game. quotes, and and that brings up another good point. You know, sometimes clerics, especially, will get a hard time from their tables if they don't spend time healing and buffing. Right. right. If you're not casting cure wounds and bless, people might look at you side eyed. And it's like, bro, I picked Tempest Cleric because yeah. I want to shoot people with lightning and wear chainmail, right? Yeah, and 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 my general vibe of playing a cleric is I will kill the thing that is trying to kill you. This is what we call preemptive healing. It's also a carryover from like MMOs like World of Warcraft because 5th edition is designed in such a way is that like um, dedicated healing is actually not usually optimal. Um, building a dedicated healing build is actually kind of difficult to do um, because the healing amount is so it's so much less than the potential damage output. Yeah, like the the only real counter to that is life cleric, but I think that's it. Well, even life cleric has a lot of built-in offensive options. Like mm-hmm. at a certain level, they're dealing extra damage on their melee attacks. Uh, yeah. They're doing extra divine damage for free. And then even still, like, what, you're adding two, three, four more healing points? It's really not that much. It's a good to, it's a good way to take the edge off, and it may make the difference, but that's like one or two heals in the encounter. Not necessarily every round I cast Cure Wounds. Because it might be more effective to cast Hold Person. It might be, like, better for your party's health if the other guy isn't attacking you. Right. Yeah. But you could make the argument if you see clerics or um you know bards at a certain at a certain level or druids if you see them as being like the healing character you could make the argument that them not healing is them being a detriment and I have seen people make that argument. I think they are very wrong because yes. anyone who categorizes those as just healers hasn't looked at the rest of what they can do. But a table could make that argument and say you know, well, you're out here doing all of this other stuff while I'm down to half health. How dare you? Right. And I think that 
that is a thing where, you know, if the player is presenting themselves like I am the party healer, and then they don't perform that action, then you're essentially just bamboozling your table, right? And that sucks. Um, but you should heal sometimes, right, in that case. But, like, if you show up with, I'm a death domain cleric, <laughs> it's, like, literally in the name. <laughs> you know? Right there. Um, Just sitting I'm, there. I picked war domain. I'm here to do war because I want to attack, but I also want spells. Mm -hmm. Right? And so, no, I make you no guarantee that heals are going to happen. Now, it's probably polite that if when someone goes down, you cast healing ward, you should do that. Right? Sure. But, you know, it's, again, it's very different from the MMO mentality where a lot of players come from, where they're like, no, you have to keep me topped off. It's like, no, the game doesn't work that way. Yeah, and, and in, in 5e, that is such a waste of spell slots. Like, my it's spell slots are waste. much better used, you know, giving the rogue advantage when they wouldn't otherwise have it with Guiding Bolt, for example. Correct. Using any of your control spells. Using, you know, area manipulation spells. You know, even just attacking sometimes might be yeah. the better choice. Like, okay, this goblin has seven hit points and my ally is down to 75% of their maximum hit points. What's the more effective choice here? Like, probably just attack the goblin, honestly. Yeah. You're not going to waste the spell slot and you're all in all likelihood, you're going to win. You're going to kill it. <laughs> so just do the attack and you don't have to heal. <laughs> and you right. save the spell slot for later. And you save no, the I, spell slot for later. I, I very much had kind of a policy when I when I when I play clerics that I don't heal unless people are actually kind of desperate. Unless it's actually like down to between a third to a fourth of their health. Yeah, and I'm and I'm more and more all the time in favor of just showing that information. Like if you're on the VTT. Yeah. Like, just go ahead and show the health bars. Like, that's actually going to save us time, right? Yeah, because then I don't have to ask. Yeah, you don't have to ask. Now, if you're sitting around the table, it might be a little bit harder. But maybe you put up a little marker that says, like, bloodied or whatever, you know? Or I would love, I, I would love to have, like, a, a stand-up tracker thing that has everyone's, like, hit points. And you can mm -hmm. just, like, keep track of that around the physical table. You know, you could always take two tens and just set your health for everybody if you wanted to. Right. Sure. Like that's possible. Um, or three tens if you need. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, when you get up into higher levels. When you get into uh, higher levels. If you ever need four, I think we're good. I think you're fine, right? Yeah. At, at that <laughs> point, you, you won I, the are game. You, are, are you playing? Are you playing at thirtieth level? What are you doing? <laughs> like, what, how did you even get there? Um, yeah. Okay. So anyway, the the third thou shalt not is actively resist moving the plot or belittling plans. So I kind of snuck two in there, but like we we don't like it when players like, well, my character wouldn't be motivated by that, so they say no. And yeah, it, it is it is genuinely up to the the player to be like, okay, this is a situation that is presented. You have two choices: figure out how to make your 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 character care, or bring in a different character. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like it, this may not be the right choice in this case. And again, are you putting yourself in front of everybody else? And like my fun is more important than your fun. Um, I think that's really kind of the key here. Um, that brings me to one of my shoulds, which is do what your character would do translated into an excuse to be helpful. 
right? Which is to say, okay, you basically want to play Vegeta, okay? So you say, I, I'm going to brood in the corner and I'm going to be the edgelord or whatever. Like, <laughs> okay, that's fine. So then the, the, the girl comes up to you and says, will you uh, help, uh, help me save my farm from the goblins, right? Vegeta, you know, in the show might say that's beneath my notice, right? But you might say, okay, the GM's hook is for me to go fight the goblins, okay? And my other teammates want to do it. So how can my Vegeta knockoff uh, decide that he wants to do it while still remaining in character? Yeah, uh, I'm bored. I would, I might as well uh, occupy my time with a little sport, right? You still played the same character, but you agreed to the mission. Mm-hmm. Now you're now the plot is moving, so that's that's my advice. And I mean that could also be a, a time to you know, dependent on how big the thing is, flesh out backstory. Maybe the the Vegeta character is brooding in the corner because they had lost someone very important to them, and this girl reminds them of that. Right, yeah, you could give a little bit of a uh, self-narration where, you know, at first he's about to, like, turn away, but then he does a double take, looks at her for a moment, and then says, fine. And then everyone else at the table might be like, whoa, what did that mean? Yeah, and, the, right. and, then, you have, and then you have an interesting character hook to dig into. And you still got to be broody. Yeah, we love that. I mean, so many people pull on the brooding in, in, in a corner with the hood up smoking thing, and it's like... You pulled that from Strider. Okay, yes. what did Strider care about, and how did he act <laughs> in that manner? Because he actually cared he, about a lot of things. He cared about so many <laughs> things, but he pretended not to care or had this more aloof demeanor, and that suited his purpose for the time. But yes. there was so much going on underneath that, and that's a piece that I think a lot of people miss. Right. It's This is character arc stuff, you know? Like, he's got he's to gotta open up. He's got to get over that. Right. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. And 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 just as a word of caution for the the broody characters, it can really work against you if you stay that way. There was a yes. mutants and masterminds game that I played where um, our our like sorceress character, she had all this dark brooding energy, and anything anytime the gods of Egypt came up, she would get real squirrely, but she would never open up about it whenever anyone asked her about it. We got to like, I want to say five sessions before the game ended and everything finally came out and no one cared anymore <laughs> because it had gotten to the point of, oh, you're okay. just annoying now. <laughs> Seriously. Right. So like there is a there is a point to like player uh, character secrets and having like that oh that brooding gosh. underneath. But you need to be ready and willing to start opening up to that when those sorts of things come up, because clearly the GM has given you the hooks to be like, oh, Emily, your your character is interested in this tug. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, did you ever see Ant-Man and the Wasp? Uh, Quantum Mania, the third one. No, I haven't seen either. I, I've seen the first Ant Man. I haven't seen the second uh, two or three. Okay, well, real quick, in the third movie, Michelle Pfeiffer's character is harboring a secret, and everyone keeps asking her to give information on the secret, and she keeps avoiding telling them. But there's n there's not like a good reason for her to do that, hmm. and so because she won't communicate. 
it ends up dealing in it, like resulting in a bunch of problems, right? Because yeah. she just won't talk about what happened to her in the quantum realm. And so finally we get there and then she finally explains it and it was like, well, why was that so hard? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. you just you just get annoyed at her instead yeah. of like liking the character. Yeah, because I mean, secrets are interesting, but they're only interesting if they're used as a method to like dig into the character and find out more about them. And that's even more so the case in a game like D&D or Mutants and Masterminds or Call of Cthulhu or whatever t- tabletop game you're playing it is really important to use those as a way to, like, the character may want to keep that secret, but everyone else wants to know, and you, the player, should want them to know. The Baldur's Gate 3 companions um, remind me of this, too, because a lot of them are (laughs) (laughs) a-holes. But, like, I don't know. If you've ever seen a movie or read a book before, you're like, well, clearly, you know, that's this is the arc they're on. Right. Mm. This person's very aggressive. Obviously, they're going to learn to care about people. Right. This person is super secretive. Of course, they're going to have to learn to trust. Right. And you kind of know that. But I've, I've seen some of the earlier comments for like early access where they were like, oh, these characters are so unlikable. I hate them. It's like, bro, they're coming along. <laughs> OK. <laughs> but the other thing is, is that it's a single player game for the most part. And so. Like, it's kind of okay, but players that that are at a table and they're like, well, my character is going to be the the badass and they're going to be kind of mean and and abrasive. You know, the other players at the table might not necessarily know whether or not you're planning on doing an arc, like if you're planning on being wrong about this, right? Because a lot of players don't like to show that kind of vulnerability or weakness. They write a flaw in their paper and then it never comes up. Right. Because they're just like, well, if I make that decision, then everyone will think I am foolish personally. And it might be worth it to say, hey, guys, just so you know, I my character acts this way, but I don't plan on staying that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, you got to be careful, but it could be useful. Very true. And I mean, if you look at like the D&D movie. Holga is kind of abrasive and, and you know, borderline unlikable, depending on who you are. Mm-hmm. But but she shows she, she ugh, say that five times fast. Uh, <laughs> she shows so much underneath what's going on that you're like, no, she keeps herself guarded because there's something else going on. And we're going to see what it is. And a lot of that comes through the performance, like just the actor understanding how to like subtly emote mm-hmm. certain feelings. You know, and how to create certain gestures that are going to communicate to the audience that, hey, they're holding, they're hiding something, they're putting yeah. up walls, right? That's just a good actress. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the, and the, the byplay between Edgen and Holga was really good to be like, yeah, you know, she acts like she doesn't care about anything, but she clearly cares very deeply or she would have drowned this idiot bard several, several years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I want to move on to the next, a character should. They should role play appropriately to the table expectation. Um, in in internet um, etiquette, there's something called lurking, right? Mm, mm-hmm. Do you know what lurking is? I do it in Twitch streams periodically. <laughs> right. It's it's like you jump in. Maybe you're really excited about what's going on in the forum or the chat or whatever, but you chill. And you just watch and listen for a while. 
And then when you kind of get a sense of, okay, here is the acceptable behavior and tone and attitude. Now I will begin to participate right now. I'm going to stop lurking and now I'm going to start participating. Yeah. Um, you know, once you understand it, it, it's like, give yourself a chance to read the room <laughs> and then and you not can just, be in the well, room. Not just, and not just read the room, but learn the norms because right. that is super important and super valuable knowing what you're getting into. And of course, this can also be explicitly stated at the session zero, as you brought up before, right? It's like, hey, guys, I'm doing a funny campaign. This game is going to take place in Terry Pratchett's Discworld. Yes. And so I want everyone to make, you know, characters with like severe build flaws, right? Like have something good you can do so we can get through the game. But like (laughs) definitely make sure that you have a very inconvenient dump stat somewhere. Um, Great. We're doing Discworld. Let's make let's make some clowns. Right. Let's have some fun. You know, on the other hand, it's like, guys, we're playing Curse of Strahd. (laughs) (laughs) You don't necessarily have to make something that you saw in Pack Tactics or on um, Triant Monk's Temple, but uh, you should make something that's basically competent, that has some weaknesses, right? And so sometimes it's explicit, sometimes it's not. And I I think that the more that we can make it explicit, the more that we can communicate, I think that's all to the better, because like getting the temperature of a table can be really difficult if it's if you don't actually actively communicate that, you know, me personally come into a table, I love role playing. It is like the thing that I am at the table to do. I'm also like I like being effective, but role playing is way more important to me. Mhm. But you do, you definitely do both, and I think that that's really good, right? At at a certain table, I want you to be able to do both. Um, especially if they complement each other, right? Yeah. But also, maybe we do throw a wrench in the works when it comes to our optimization so that there is a weakness for the GM to, to touch on, right? To use against you on purpose. To Because, like, a lot of times we're really afraid of failing in these games. And, you know, in an earlier episode, we called it Love Your Ones. You know, it, it was mm. like learn to enjoy taking the L sometimes because it actually makes the other players at the table endear to you more. You know, if, especially if you are usually very effective and sometimes it's, you know, nice to have a break from that. Well, also, I mean, there, all of the, all of the characters are humanoids and, you know, failing is part of being human. So Absolutely. I won't go too deep into that because that's a whole philosophy that's of gameplay. Right. But <laughs> uh, the last uh, rule is use your abilities to help the gr- group succeed at their goals. Um, an emphasis on group here, because we are we often remember, you know, how to maximize our own DPR, but are we using abilities to try to do setups for others? Are we trying to, are we being cognizant that, hey, that's their spotlight moment, so let's make sure that they have it? Are we, you know, doing the buffs to let someone else steal damage? Are we getting upset because someone stole your kill, quote unquote? (laughs) You know, like, remember, everyone else wants to feel cool, too. So help them. Also, 
buffs don't fail. They don't have saving throws. Or they do, but they can fail on purpose, right? Um, heals 100% effectiveness. <laughs> you know, you're not going to miss. Yeah. Unless someone casts t- Chill Touch or something. Well. You know, usually uh, you're going to succeed. So it's really nice sometimes to go ahead and let someone else take the W. I would also underline, though, the the word abilities, because I, I think that it, uh, yes, a lot of it is in combat, but I think that a lot of it is also using the social abilities that are on your sheet to move forward in the goals. So, like, I was in a game that was a murder mystery um, investigation, and we had two player characters with negative intelligence. So that made things, let's say, challenging. <laughs> yes, um, and not because of the way the players were necessarily playing it, because they had interesting ideas, but their abilities on the paper weren't set to that. And frankly, we were badly built for a murder mystery, just all the way around the table. We were all badly built for what we were doing. <laughs> this is why session zeros are important, kids. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. What are we going to be doing in this game? What is the core gameplay going to be? Yeah. What, what, what is the core gameplay loop? What do we need to be good at or at least interestingly bad at? Yeah, right, or at least one of us be good enough at to move things <laughs> along, right? Yeah, but but the abilities are more than just combat because combat is super important, especially that D and D is set up. But it's also like you can stay out of a lot of combats by having um, the sorcerer or the bard or the warlock talk to the people who are you know about to attack you and maybe talk them out of it. It's entirely possible that you can just avoid combat in a lot of con- in a lot of situations. Or set things up to make it easier to find the thing that you're looking for. Or, you know, a whole slew of ways that you can use abilities that aren't necessarily combat to solve the problems. Yeah, I think that's a really super important point. You know, and it's also a good way to rope in a player that you, as another player, notice isn't like doing as much, right? Like maybe the barbarian is a little bit checked out during the social encounter. And then maybe you go, hey... Grogthar, I know that you're the barbarian and I'm the bard, but we need to talk to this guard. And uh, she's a half orc, just like you. (laughs) And I think that she isn't going to care for my demeanor. So why don't you take take the lead on this one? Well, Grogthar not going to say the right thing, and he's going to be embarrassed. It's like, don't worry, bro. I'm going to Cyrano de Bergerac you from behind the corner here. <laughs> right? And he's like, me not no reference, but okay. <laughs> don't worry, bro. I'll give you your lines. Just say them. Just say them, right? And as a GM, if I saw that, I'd be like, dude, this is awesome. Seriously. You know? Because, like, first of all, you're going to get advantage 100%. You know, I'm definitely going to reward that kind of role play. Plus, you're literally using the help action. So, it, it's like, okay, we're going to borrow charisma from over here but maybe we're gonna borrow your intimidate proficiency or something you know whatever it is and then that's a really fun method of interaction yeah because because another way to do the same interaction but use the skills differently is have the bard go and do the talking but have um the barbarian give the help action by looming behind him and doing intimidate at the person that he's talking to (laughs) he's like thinking about puppies or something, but every now and then the bard looks at him, so he looks back at the guy and he's like, yeah, mm-hmm, definitely. <laughs> and he's just big and mean and grumpy looking <laughs> while, while he's thinking about puppies. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, anyway. Um, 
I love that. I love watching players like support each other in character, especially, but also because it can be felt out of character. And that's one point where metagaming is very, very welcome. Did you make someone else feel good? Because, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, as it turns out, the secret ingredient is indeed love. You stole the thought right out of my brain. <laughs> It's the it's the thought of the show, right? <laughs> and it's it's the the way we feel about things. Like, do you love your GM? Then work with them. Do you love your party? Then make them feel cool sometimes, right? Um, maybe they'll f- make you feel cool sometimes. You know, it, it's it, if I say, oh yes, my bard paladin is very very charismatic and handsome. And thank goodness for me, because if not, none of you would have had the bardic inspirations needed to succeed on your roles. And if I hadn't, uh, you know, done that control spell that was super clutch, by the way, then the rest of you uh, would have been way harder for you. And and the Twilight Cleric just looks at you completely deadpan and been like, I did four healing spells on you in the last combat. Shush. Yeah, don't don't talk your own game. Talk their game, Right. Because if they're, like, decent people, they will then turn around and talk your game for you. And we're all going to really enjoy sharing that with each other, right? Sure. It, it's it's the concept of word fame, where it's like you're not working to build up your own fame. You're working to see the good in all of the other people and talk them up. And then as they're feeling bigger and better, they also talk you and the rest of the group up. And there's this beautiful energy that passes back and forth when it really works out. That that's the gold standard. That's what we really want. Um, so, I think in in sort of takeaway, optimize and role play both for the good of your table, for the good of your GM and of what the story needs. And if you're not sure what that is, then communicate and talk. Mm-hmm. And you know, final piece of advice, like just to reiterate, because I've already said it, but. Your fun is not important than other people's at that yeah. table, right? As they say, a rising tide lifts all ships, right? So ra- raise it together and uh, sail on into the horizon. Beautifully said. <laughs> when in doubt, talk about water. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't. That's how you get Dave Hollis. We're not doing this. <laughs> I don't know who that is, but yes, I agree. Um, <laughs> any last thoughts from you, uh, Tiana? Um, yeah, I, I, I think I'll tag on to, to the end of what you've been saying, because I, from the beginning of my time in D&D, I've heard the term power gamer used in a very derogatory sense. Yes. And I've always kind of kicked back against that, because yeah. I do very firmly believe that a quote-unquote power gamer or an optimizer can also be a good role player. And I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to feel cool, with wanting to get the like 80 points of damage in a single blow. That's cool. That's fun. That's great. That is cool. Yeah. But, you know, there needs to be role play reasons behind why you make the choices and not just, well, this is the most optimized build. It's like, no, who is who is your character? And who is your character in relation to the other people at the table? So it's a very holistic way to look at character building, and it can be a challenge. But I challenge everyone listening to consider the best ways to make your character as optimized as you like, but also consider who they are and who they are at the table. 
and who you are at the table. Well said. Very well said. <laughs> um, last thing I want to talk about just before uh, we sign off is that uh, our very first ever patron campaign is coming to an end. Oh my gosh. And uh, we we fought the big bad. The big bad is dead. Um, there's still just a teeny bit more to do. But by the time anyone hears this show, it'll be over. Yeah. And uh, it will be uh, bittersweet to say goodbye to it. But mostly sweet, I'd say, because uh, we all want to try out different builds. <laughs> well, it's also just been such a satisfying story. I, oh, I could say that with confidence b- being in that game. Yes. Um, it has been a satisfying story. So, it, of course, it's always bittersweet to say goodbye to a character. But when a character has run their course, it's time to let go and to let them ride or fly or trot off into the sunset yes uh highly agree highly agree especially once you've hit 20 and are getting epic boons right like yeah i think we're done here so having said that um my plan is to go ahead and start another game pretty much right after so if anybody is interested in uh joining us at the muse tier which is 20 dollars a month uh Please consider joining if you would like to play in the next Inspiration Point campaign. We also still have the other one going on, Gnarled Frontier, uh, but that one is nowhere near finished. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, in fairness, Wrath of the Scorned went for, what, two years? Did it really? I think like a year and a half, two years, somewhere in that neighborhood. Do you mind if I look really quick to see when we started? I'm going to, let's see if it says... Are you like scrolling the, way back? Oh, it, it should be in the... Yeah, I'm checking roll 20. Oh, roll 20 uh, is a good way to look, too. Let me see if it says... Well, it says when I made my subscription. That's not helpful <laughs> in this case. Um, yeah, I don't remember. It, it might have been two years. That would make sense. Um, I feel like it hasn't been that long, but then again, the older I get, the less I can track time effectively. <laughs> Boy, ain't that the case. Uh, but apparently, uh, at least I can tell you this much on Roll20, I have played for 5,274 hours. Wow, you're just a little bit above, uh, no, that, no, that's yours. What is mine? Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, I'm significantly behind you. I'm 1,971 hours. Yeah. Well, a lot of that is just like building. It's like GM time is like, <laughs> no, a lot of that might even be just AFK, you know, leaving it on. That's um, entirely possible. <laughs> anyway, yeah. We can it's figure been, that out later, but it's been yeah, going for quite a while. Been going for quite a while, and we went from level three to level 20, and that is very, very satisfying. If you want a game that actually completes, uh, please join us. Yeah. You know, uh, there's there's a lot to be said for that, because we <laughs> even, even with real life happening, uh, all of the players make it a um, make it a priority as much as possible. Right. Um, that and that's huge. It's, it's not just about, you know, me being a great GM or whatever. It is a good table. That's the main thing. You know, if you want to be the newbie in the group, we'd love to have you. Um, Other than that, that's all I have. 
All right. Well, then let's go ahead and bring this home. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Inspiration Point. And uh, we'll be back next week to talk about more things to do with TTRPGs and uh, the ways that we think are, are helpful for playing them. So until next time, stay inspired. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Inspiration Point. If you'd like to support what we do, go and check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash inspiration point. If you can't support us directly, that's okay. You can also help support us by telling people about the podcast. A little inspiration goes a long way. Inspiration Point is edited and produced by Tiana Hansen and is distributed by Quest and Chaos. If you like what you hear with us, give Quest and Chaos YouTube or Twitch channels a visit. They play Dungeons and Dragons on a weekly basis and have a bunch of campaigns of Call of Cthulhu, D&D, and board game playthroughs archived on their YouTube. Join us next week for more inspiration. Mm-hmm.